so we make you know I've been making jokes about episode by episode and scene by scene and all this action and um, it just gets weird this week so get ready we're gonna we're gonna have some weird some weird stuff um, and it's it's really interesting because it's it's written down and when you look at okay Scripture is divinely inspired. So that means even the writing of it, that, that the Holy Spirit somehow came upon the people that were writing it as they decided what to write down and what to put in and how to word it. But they were also men, right? They were flesh. And so they had, they had their, their enthusiasm. They had their moods. That's why you get the Gospel of Mark that's just written in one style. And he's like, this, and then this, and then this, and then this. Well, we know Mark was like a young guy. And so he would tell a story like, like a six-year-old is going to tell a story. And, and then we have the Gospel of John. And John wrote that when he was old. And after he knew that all these other Gospels had, writ had been written, and John was like, I, got, I just got to tell my side of this story. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And, what? and so John is just like, wow. Like, this guy has years, decades of dwelling with God, dwelling with Jesus, meditating on, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, and nobody else is around to argue with him anymore. And so he writes that. So, I say all that to say, 1 Samuel was written on purpose, in a specific way, and it tells us certain things because the person that wrote it, but it also tells us certain things because the Holy Spirit inspired it. And even then, when you get to a chapter and you read through, whenever you read through any, anywhere in the Scripture, when you read through and you're like, why is this even in here? Why, what are we even talking about? What's going on? That is, that is God jumping up and like doing the airborne splits and shaking the pom-poms and saying, read that more. There's so much in there. There's more to see. Don't just keep going. And... This is one of those weird chapters. And it's some of it, you're like, what in the world? Why is this in here? What's going on? And so that's our invitation to just stick with it and to keep reading it. So 1 Samuel 28, we're checking in on David. Remember David went to the king of the Philistines and they're hiding out in the land of the Philistines. And the king of the Philistines gave him a city, not knowing that that was in the promise, the original promised land. And it really belonged to King David anyway. There's all these ways that God is working, even though God's not mentioned in all of it, that God's fulfilling his purpose for his people. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. Okay, immediately this is a problem, right? Because David is an Israelite. He's got 600 fighting men. They have all their wives. They have all their kids. They're living among the Philistines. And they've been fighting enemies of the Philistines and Israel. So it still benefits them. But now all the Philistines are turning towards Israel. And so David's going to be in a spot. 
Achish, King Achish, said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. He's like double checking. You know we're going to go fight Israel, but you're on my time. You're on my team now, right? You're you're going with me. David says to Achish, "Very well. You shall know what your servant can do." And Achish said to David, "Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life." We were making jokes about this at home this morning. We don't know we don't know how this happened, but can't you just picture King Achish sitting there? David sitting there with a couple of his men. And King Achish is like, we're going out to war against the, Philist- against the Israelites. And you're with me, right? And King David's like, you just take me out there and you'll see what I can do. And then he looks over at his men. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I swore, I swore to not hurt God's anointed. This guy is not God's anointed. So you don't know what's going to happen. Like, oh boy, it's going to get good. And Ashes is just like, oh, you're going to be my bodyguard for life. Like, you are committed to me. You are just such a helpful dude. And that's where it ends. That's all we get of David. Cliffhanger. Like, now we don't know what's going to happen. You're going to have to wait like four weeks to figure out what's going on with David. In the meantime, same timing as this. Well, but get a little bit of the hopelessness, a little bit of it. Right. How is David going to get out of this? He's been anointed as king of Israel. He's fighting with the king of the Philistines against their on their way into battle against Israel. If he tries to turn against the king of the Philistines, he's got 600 men. Philistines have thousands and thousands Philistines have chariots. Philistines have superior weapons. I mean, they're just, they're just better at war in every way. And David's absolutely surrounded by them. Yes. All right. Little reminder. Verse 3. Samuel had died. So in case you didn't remember, Samuel has been dead. He's been dead for a long time. He was Israel's only hope to hear from God. He was the last of the book of the whole book of Judges, of the prophets, the whole bit gone. All of Israel mourned for him. They buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Okay, now what? Your, your translation might say different things for that, that sentence. Basically, these are all of the psychics, palm readers, astrologers, um, all of the witches, all the practicers of these weird, all of those weird arts. He had them all put out of the land. Okay, so we got two. This is an absolutely random verse. But it's got to be in there for a reason, right? So Samuel's dead. Samuel was the way that everybody could hear what God wanted to do. There's no necromancers or mediums or spiritists or soothsayers or wizards. All those people have been kicked out. So how is anybody going to hear of anything from God what to do, basically? The Philistines... Oh, back to the Philistines. (laughs) 
<laughs> the Philistines assembled and they came and they encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. These are um, about seven miles apart from each other. And in the middle is a big open plain where if you have chariots, you have the military advantage. And we know who has the chariots and who doesn't. This is, this is home, t- home field advantage for the Philistines. This is perfect. If it, was, if it was rocks and trees and lots of hiding places, it'd be good for the Israelites. It's not. This is, this is bad. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. So remember, Saul kept, Samuel would tell him something, he would do it his own way, or he wouldn't listen at all, and he would do his own thing. And remember, Samuel was walking away from him. He said, God's taken the kingdom away from you. And Saul reaches up and grabs his cloak and it rips. And Samuel gets really mad. You just tore my good robe, man. Just like you tore my robe, God is tearing the kingdom out of your hand. And he's going to give it to another. Somebody else is going to get it. From then on, Saul didn't get any instructions from Samuel. Saul didn't get any instructions from any priest, no ephod, no Urim and Thurim, no nothing. Remember, Saul had all the priests, the whole priest town of Nob had everybody killed out, killed off. So he doesn't even have any priests alive because he killed them. And now he's trying to ask God what to do. And there's no priests to give him an answer. The Urm and the Thurim are in the hands of the one priest that escaped and is actually with David in the land of the Philistines. He's got nothing. Then Saul says to his servants, right? Saul is so scared. What do we do? Uh, Nobody's answering me. I'm not even having dreams. Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. So Saul is, go find me a psychic. Go find me Madame Zorba so I can have her predict the future for me and tell me what to do. (laughs) Now remember, Saul had all of them run out of the country. Saul had all of them sent. In the same verse, you guys, like they didn't even give us another sentence or a gap. His servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. They know where the one is. Weren't they supposed to get rid of all of them? If they were supposed to run them all out, and he's like, Hey, guys, go find me a medium. They're like, Oh, check out this lady on 3rd Street. What in the world? So Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, and he went, two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. So not only is he dressed in a disguise, he's going at night so nobody sees him. Just take a minute to think, if you were zealous for Yahweh, you you loved God with all your heart and soul, you were an Israelite, a true Israelite, passionate for God, and... You knew the Philistines were coming and you were crying out to God, God, what will you do? How will you deliver us? 
and you saw your king dressed up in street clothes, sneaking at night to go to a fortune teller. Wouldn't that be horrible? So I want you to get that emotion going because that's what, that's what you're reading. As you read that, if you don't know what happens, you don't know how the story ends, you don't know Jesus comes, and that's terrible, terrible, terrible. That's, I mean, if nothing else, it's horrible hypocrisy, right? He disguised himself. He goes by night. He goes to the woman. He says, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I name to you. I want you to bring a spirit back from the dead that I can talk to. The woman who is the psychic is righteous, more righteous than Saul. Listen to this. Surely you know what Saul has done, how he cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Every time we are tempted to sin, the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians 10 that God will provide a way out for us. Every time we are tempted to sin, God will give us a way out. He will give us a speed bump to just slow us. He's not going to get us. He's not going to give us a brick wall. He he gives us freedom. He gives us, he loves us and he will let us march into our destruction. But in the meantime on that march, he's going to have you step on a rock. He's going to he's going to have you have to stop and tie your shoe. He's he's going to give you something to slow you down as you're marching into sin every time. And man, if you get trained to look for those things, it's, it, you just have a, such a happier life. It, it's just, it's all better. So that's what this is. This lady is saying, this is Saul's last, you got, like what we are witnessing here is Saul's last chance to turn to God. And it's coming from the spirit lady. The medium or the necromancer. Why are you laying a trap for me? Verse 28.10. If you haven't torn your shirt yet, there's your chance. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. As Yahweh lives, no punishment will come upon you for this thing. So you look in the Hebrew. Maybe he's just mentioning some vague God. Nope. He says Yahweh. He swears by the name of Yahweh that no harm will come to her by violating Deuteronomy 18. Nothing harmful will come to you. I swear by Yahweh. Well, remember I said he had his last chance? It's already passed. And she buys it. She goes with it. She says, okay, who do you want me to bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. Now remember, the lady doesn't know who Saul is. He's dressed up. He's in a costume. He's disguised. He says, bring up Samuel. They, so verse 11 to verse 12, like if this was a TV show, you would see what she did, right? And you would see all of her theatrics. And, and you might even picture it all. 
Whoever wrote this down wanted to give no credit to what this lady was doing. And so from verse 11, where Saul says, bring up Samuel, to verse 12, it's already happening. I think that's important. Because whoever wrote this down didn't want us to give, to give us any hint of how this was done. It doesn't even matter. Who cares how this was done? We don't want, we don't want that to be preserved. That's not the important part to be preserved here. When the woman, but she did it. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Okay, so her first reaction is not surprised that she brought up Samuel because that's what she does. That's kind of her thing. So bringing up Samuel isn't the big deal. But something about this power that's going on gave her insight to see who Saul was, even though he was in disguise. And she calls him out. Whoa. The king says to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? Isn't this wild? I think that was another speed bump. It was a, Saul, you've just been found out. Stop it. Turn to the Lord. And what does Saul do? Don't be afraid of that. Keep telling me what you see. She says, do not be. And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? What does he look like? She said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid him homage. I think he's getting another speed bump here. Because what's Saul going to remember about Samuel more than anything else? That moment that he held his robe in his hands and it got ripped out of his hands. The lady could have said he had a beard. She could have said he walks with a limp. She could have said he's got a mole on the end of his nose. All the other things she could have said to identify Samuel. And she points out that rope. And that gets Saul. Oh my gosh, it really is. And he drops on his face. What? He doesn't honor God to follow his law. He doesn't honor God to listen to him. But right now, out of fear, he drops on his face and bows down because he is about to meet Samuel back from the dead. And he is scared because this thing really worked. Samuel, then Samuel said to Saul, what? Yes. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. There's one commentator that uh, I read. And you know how earlier it said that God hadn't answered Saul by Urim? or by dreams, or by prophets. And then here Saul says, dreams and prophets haven't talked to me. Because he didn't want to mention the Urim in front of Samuel. Because he killed all the priests. And Samuel doesn't know that. <laughs> I thought that's awesome. What a little insight in there is like, do not mention what you did with the Urim and the Thurim around Samuel brought back from the dead. Like you do not want to see what happens there. 
I don't know if that's true, but that commentator had that little insight. I was like, that's awesome. I'm in great distress. Didn't this classic Saul? Oh, my problems are so big. I got the Philistines. God doesn't listen to me. I got this and that. And now, who knows? So I called you to tell me what to do. Because I listened to what you have to say, Samuel. No. Terrible. Samuel said, Why are you asking me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Can you imagine hearing? Well, I know. You got to go a couple steps. Hearing from Samuel who's dead and with the Lord come back from the dead to tell you that God is your enemy? Again, at what point is Saul going to turn to the Lord and repent? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. This has never been spoken to Saul. Do you remember how Saul, both times when David spared his life, he said, you're a better man than me. You're a great person. I'm sure the kingdom's yours and how flattering he was and just how full of garbage his words were to David. Now, for the first time, Saul hears it from Samuel. David is going to be king. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. That was the whole, it all goes back to Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, like Samuel's like, I don't have to tell you nothing, but I'm just going to give you a couple free tips here. Everything's been torn out of your hands. You're the Lord's enemy. King David is going to be the king. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of Philistines. So this whole war that you're about ready to fight, that you're worried about, you're all going to lose And the Philistines are going to take over. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Oh oh my gosh. What? Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel, the whole army of Israel, including you, into the hands of the Philistines. You're all going to die. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. I think that's right, right? If he hadn't listened, all this time he didn't listen, he didn't obey. This doesn't have anything to do with what Saul does, does it? He doesn't say, if you do this, then this will happen, or this or that. He's like, here's how it's playing out. This is what's happening. So there's a whole bunch of Bible commentators going back in church history that have a whole lot of difficulty with this whole chapter. And they're trying to figure out, you know, how do you reconcile this with the rest of Scripture? Because Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture rather than just making up willy-nilly stuff. So what Saul has done, he went to this necromancer that speaks from on behalf of dead people that's what that word means he's got a message that you're all going to die 
the kingdom got taken from you. There's some truth in it that we do know that the kingdom is going to go to David. But we don't know the future. And so if we just read this, and this spirit that looks like Samuel and sounds like Samuel says, tomorrow you're going to be with me. What does that instill in Saul? Fear, right? And so Saul collapses from fear, filled with fear because the words of Samuel, there was no strength in him for he had, already, he had eaten nothing that day and all night. So this was a practice. If you were going to go see a seer, you would fast. But how many times in Scripture do we see people fasting and praying before God? Here Saul actually goes to the effort of fasting for the sake of this necromancer, this psychic. He falls down, no strength. Verse 21, the woman came to Saul. When she saw that he was terrified, she said, look, I obeyed you. I took my life into my hands and I listened to what you said to me. So now you listen to me. Eat some food. <laughs> you need to eat. You are famished. You're a mess. And she makes all this food and she kills a fattened calf like a cow. And, and like they have this big old dinner and Saul eats it and then he leaves. It's really wild. So you look in here real close and you're like, okay, he refuses and he said he will not eat. And then he got up and he ate. And it goes on. The last thing that Saul heard from Samuel was the whole Israelite army is going to fall and you're going to be with me tomorrow. Tomorrow you and your sons are going to be with me. It's all wiped out. So let's... With all that in mind, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. Because this was a really bad thing that Saul did. And I, I want to I up the ante of how bad it was. So in Deuteronomy 18, God has is, is freed the people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He's on their way to the promised land. He's providing for them every day. And He gives them the law. And this is how you're going to live. And when you enter the land, when you come into the land, this is Deuteronomy 18.9. When you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Because that's what they did. They would, they would, sacrifice, they would sacrifice their children in the, in the land that they were taking over to the benefit of their other children. To the benefit of themselves. Don't do that. Nor anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. It's a big old list. And you guys, it gets crazy. It's not worth it. But every one of those is a different type of what we would call witchcraft, right? Don't do it. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving these people out ahead of you. 
It's because of these things. Like sometimes people say, gosh, I can't believe God would send people into the promised land and kill all those people and move all of them out and then move in his promised people. It was judgment. It was judgment coming because they were rebelling against God by asking the dead for information inquiring of the dead they were looking at the stars and by the way the stars would line up they were deciding their future and and giving power to that um they would you know like casting lots or uh now a modern version of this is tarot cards and they put out cards and and it seems like it's random but we're going to ask spirits to speak through these random things and to tell you what to do and to tell you what's going to happen and All of that is why God's judgment came on the former residents of the promised land. Do you notice nowhere in here, well, whoever does these things is an abomination. You should be blameless before your Lord. For these nations which you're about to possess, dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. They try to predict the future with things. God doesn't say anywhere in here that it's not true. God doesn't say anywhere in here that it's all make-believe. He says it's evil. And I think it does us well to take that stand and to look at it that way. Because if the kids go to Toys R Us and they buy an Ouija board and they sit there and they ask the spirits of the dead to speak to them and they move the thing around... And we say, oh, that's make-believe. It doesn't hurt anybody. What if we're wrong? What if we're inviting a demon into our house to possess our kids to rule their lives? What? Okay, that gets really crazy, right? We don't know. I would rather err on the side of safety than on the air of, oh, it's nothing. It's no big. I don't need to be afraid of that. So one time I was at the mall. And there's this psychic at the mall. And I had this buddy who's a missionary in Africa, and he's just awesome. And he would be like, hey, let's go pray against the psychics. I'd be like, what? This is weird. And we were down on the riverfront, and there's a psychic, and for five bucks, she'll read your fortune and tell you everything, and blah, blah, blah. For one, I'm thinking, okay, if you have that power, and you're selling it for five bucks... I already have questions. So we went and we stood and like she was like at the electric piano and she had her little booth. And we just prayed for the truth of Jesus to come down. And we prayed for the glory of God and the grace of God and the righteousness. And we just prayed all this positive stuff about God. And we never cursed her. And we didn't say anything bad about her. We just lifted up the truth of God. And do you know what happened? The whole time we stood there proclaiming God's truth, we weren't loud. Nobody would know what we were doing. We were just engaging on a spiritual level. People would have thought we were two guys just standing by the river talking to each other if they would have walked by. Not a single customer came to her the whole time we prayed. So as we had watched and we had been hanging out and, you know, eating corn dogs and having river stuff, she had a steady stream of customers. The whole time she prayed, nobody, the whole time we prayed, nobody ever came to her. And I think that was the Lord protecting countless people walking by. 
So then there's another time, and I was at the mall, and there's lady, and you know, again, it's the whole $10 thing, and these people walk up, and they're like, uh, we want, we want our future, our, tell our future. And the lady's like, well, I only take cash. But there's an ATM down there. And they had this exchange, and I'm like, I need to pray for them, because they don't know what they're getting into. And if they knew, they would be scared. Like, if people without the Lord knew what those powers are showing up there, remember what Jesus said? The devil only comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you would have life to the fullest. So if you knew that it's not Jesus, so there's a power there that comes only to steal and kill and destroy and to rob you of your joy, people would run away from that if they didn't have Jesus living in them. We'll talk about that in a second. So I thought, I need to pray for them. I need to tell them. So I walked down the mall right behind them, and I'm just praying the whole time. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. And they get to the ATM, and I said, hey, you guys, I'm just going to tell you something, and I don't want to make it weird, but you're about ready to see a psychic, which is weird. Can we just admit that? And they're like, yeah. And I said, sometimes people consult psychics, and they become possessed by demons, and I don't want that to happen to you. So I want you to take that seriously before you go. I am going to walk out this door, and what you're going to do is your own business, but I think it's worth it that you get warned. And then I walked right out the door, and I have no idea what happened. But I share that story to say, when you warn people with truth and with love and with kindness and with grace, that's the Lord. Look at what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, tenderness, self-control. When this Spirit spoke to Saul, what fruit of the Holy Spirit came? Fear, panic, terror, dread. So there's one theory that this actually wasn't a spirit of Samuel coming back from the dead, that this was a demon and that this lady was bringing a demon back to lie to Saul. And that's the one thing that makes me think that that theory could be true. Because if it would have worked salvation, because the Holy Spirit brings salvation. The Holy Spirit brings hope and joy and love and peace, right? Or if it was God and the result that came to Saul was fear and despair, that he was already lost, that he was already gone. Which I don't know which one of those is more scary, right? But it doesn't have to be scary for us. Because Paul writes that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That when we believe, it says in Ephesians, we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. As soon as we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. If we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have the power of God in us. And so then we can look at how Jesus dealt with evil spirits. And did he even ever arm wrestle with them? Like, was there ever a fight? It wasn't a fight at all, was it? 
You look at all the ways that Jesus, the closest Jesus comes to a fight is when he's tempted in the wilderness. And even then, any suffering that happened on Jesus' part was Jesus himself showing self-control and fasting. There wasn't any suffering of, you know, he took a left to the jaw. And so when God wants us to deal with these spiritual things, it's not a fight of, "Ah," you know, like a superhero movie. Jesus wins and he has authority. So here's how Isaiah, this is, this, I'm going to end with this. This is how Isaiah spoke to the people. When they say to you, all the people are afraid. Ah, they're coming. They're going to get us. They're in the same spot Saul was in. Oh, we're going to die. What do we do? When they say to you, ask the mediums, ask the necromancers, ask all those windbags that chirp and mutter. Shouldn't people ask God? Should not people inquire of God? That's what Isaiah says. To, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, it's because they do not have the light of dawn. They will pass through the land. They'll be distressed. They'll be hungry. When they're hungry, they'll be enraged. They'll speak against their king and against their God and against each other. It's a miserable life when you quit asking God and you turn to find out what your fortune is from other things. But you rewind a little bit just before that in Isaiah chapter 8. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Like, revere Him. We don't have to be afraid of no psychic nonsense, whatever. He will be a sanctuary. He will be a stone of offense or offense and a rock of stumbling to both the house of Israel. He'll be a trap and a snare to all that don't believe in Him. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord even when He hides His face from the face of Jacob and I will hope in Him. More places than not in the scriptures people hope in the Lord when they don't hear from him and what we see in 1 Samuel 28 is what happens when somebody that doesn't wait on the Lord and puts their hope in something else that's not necessarily false thing but it's wrong and it's bad and what happens to him Because if he would have hoped in the Lord, just just go with me a little bit in your imagination. Imagine Saul crying out to God, fasting and praying all night. The next day he goes with his troops. He's crying out to God, deliver me, save me, rescue me. And then he dies. Would that, that not have been a much more glorious and wonderful and honorable death than him dying, waste. Oh, I gave it away. Than him spending his next day in fear of what this lady said that should have been kicked out of the land, but everybody knew. Where, like, how messed up is that? So, all the way to the end, even when he is silent as can be, and sometimes he's not silent because we killed all the priests and because we did all this bad stuff. Sometimes he's silent 
Because he loves us so much. Like, I just wonder if in this, if God could have loved Saul so much that he didn't want to tell him he was going to die the next day. Because what kind of night's that going to make for him, right? He's not going to listen to him anyway. So, in God's love, he cares for us, and we do not have to turn to any of these evil, wicked things. And man, let's pray. Let us pray for all these lost people that trust in magic numbers, that trust in, uh, I mean, they sell them right here in town, the crystals that trust in golden things. In Newburgh, there's a a big statue of an elephant that people pray to, and they they want deliverance from and help from it. Let's pray for those people and be true. And when we talk to them, actually have a chance to talk to them, not just tell them how stupid they are and how wrong that is, and that's a big mess. I don't think that's how the Holy Spirit wants us to speak to them. I would think the Holy Spirit wants us to proclaim the power of God and the mercy of God to show how attractive God is, that you don't have to turn, you don't have to ask dead people anything. They're busy in a good way or a bad way. Don't bother them. <laughs> right. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you that you are alive, Jesus, and that when we call on your name and we talk to you, that we aren't talking to dead people, that we are calling on the name of the one who rose from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, and that you still send your spirit and you still send your power to help and to work in us. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver Evansville, that you would deliver our town and deliver our neighborhoods from these evil influences and that you would help us to be wise and to be bold and to not be afraid when we we come across such things, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. All right. So I'm not going to be here next week. Then the following week, The next episode, we're going to pick back up. We're going to see if this stuff was true, if what happened really happened. And um, and we're going to be in a home stretch through August to finish 1 Samuel. But now we're going to sing. Uh, Let's stand and sing number 422 together.